All right, we can turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And as is our custom, we, we're just uh, you know, doing a Bible study through this. We started with chapter 1 last week, so that's why we're here at 2. So, you know, a lot of people, when they come to a, a church that's styled like this, where it really it's just it's a Bible study, you know, as we, we're just progressing through. You know, you come and then you think, man, you knew I was coming today. I didn't. Uh, I never know who's coming. We just, you, you, and that's the beauty of this style is that I, I cover things I don't like either. Um, I cover things you don't like. I cover things that I do like and things you like. And it's never pointed at me or you. It's just the Word of God. And so I love that. And uh, my philosophy when it comes to the Word is, is if God is who He says He is, and He is God Almighty, then why do I need to champion and defend him? Just proclaim it. And so that's sort of the style here. We just go through the word. If you're convicted, it's not me. It's, it's the Lord. Uh, if, if, you're, if you feel like you need to change something in your life, that's between you and him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blunt that way, but that's who God made me to be. And maybe that's why we've got empty seats in here. But uh, that's okay, you know. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, and we're going to back up to verse 23, because that's really where this thought starts in chapter 1. He says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, uh, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow, for if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who made, is made sorrowful by me? So Paul's a little wordy here, but basically, starting at verse 23, it's a new thought where, where he's saying, uh, talking about coming again to this city of Corinth. That's the general idea. Now, you have to understand the history. The first time that he came through there, remember he's a missionary, so he, he comes through Corinth the first time. When he was there, he had just left Athens. That story is found in uh, Acts. In Athens, he kind of had a bad day. Yeah, it didn't go well. So he's there, it says there in Acts, not many were converted. Not, so he preached, and it says, you know, in Athens, that's where you've got, that's the seat of all philosophy, you know, the Greeks. So you have Socrates, Plato, all these kind of characters, they're coming from there. And it says he went up on the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, apocalypse, uh, what is that, the, um, uh, the hill there. Um, it's left me. Anyway, uh, there's a hill there. That's where all the, the deep thinkers were. And uh, he went up there and he talked to them there. So in, in, as, as he was coming to it, he thought he was pretty smart. And if you read through that, I think he was too. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. He sees a statue coming into town. It's, they have this uh, statue, it's to the unknown God. So he sees that, he goes, okay, I'm going to make a message on this. And he says, hey, you've got this statue, it's to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> So he used something out of their own culture to try to wrap them in, but at the end of the chapter, um, says, well, not many were uh, converted. It means some were. I mean, it wasn't fruitless, but I think he, he's, as he leaves there, he wasn't received well. Um, and well, in fact, I'll turn over here. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, And our brethren... When I came to you, so he's he's going to tell you this is exactly where I was when I came to you. I didn't come in excellency of speech or of wisdom, because that's how he was in Athens. 
He said, I'm going to come to you with some philosophy. So here he says, when I first came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then he says this, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So that says, so he says, this is how I looked on the outside. I just proclaimed Jesus Christ when I was there. On the inside, let me tell you, I was weak. I, I, I felt, in other words, I was disturbed. I was depressed, probably full of anxiety, depression, because of perceived failure. Uh, much trembling. That trembling in the Greek means internally trembling. Have you ever been trembling inside? You know, uh, when you come into a situation or you're meeting somebody, you know, and you've got, you're like, what, what's going on in here? You know, I don't have butterflies, but, uh, you know, I'm tough, but there's trembling inside. And that's what he's saying. He says, my speech, my preaching, they were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, because that's what he had done at Athens, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what I said when I said, hey, we just do Bible study here, that's pretty much the same thing. Um, you fail in preaching enough, and you just fall back to what you know, which is the Word of God, and you just teach that. Do I have to understand it all? No. In order for you to follow Jesus, do you have to know everything? No. Just know Jesus. The rest of it comes in time. And so he says, I just wanted to preach Jesus to you. That's it. Um, so while all that's true... I think Paul is saying back here in our text, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I think he's saying uh, in these first opening verses that he didn't want to come and have his entire visit. Uh, see, back in verse 2, if I make you sorrowful, he's saying I don't want my visit to be filled with sorrow while I'm there. So the first time I came around, I was weak. I just tell you, Jesus, second time, well, I'm just trying to spare you guys because remember the first letter, what was in there. Uh, well, we're going to get into that now in uh, verse 3 and following. It, it, his visits are, are piled one on another. So there's a reason he says this. I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you uh, all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, so that's First Corinthians, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So again, uh, he's saying, basically, look, I wrote to you before and I kind of chewed you out. So how do you feel if somebody chews you out, writes you a letter, and then they come and stay at your house? Well, you know, stay away. I need time. <laughs> you know, I need some time away from you, buddy. He's saying the same thing. It's like, I, I realize I wrote to you and I really chewed on you. So I, I don't know if I really need to be coming and staying right now. Um, and then he's going to get into, well, what were you chewing on these people about? Um, if anyone, verse 5, has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, um, not to be too severe. So, well, what did he write and talk about if someone has caused them grief? In 1 Corinthians 5, you can read that on your own sometime, but we studied it not long ago. There's a whole story there. There was a man in that church at Corinth, and he was having a sexual relationship with his dad's new wife. And weird. And Paul says, you know, that's a problem. Why? Well, here was the real problem. Now, I would have a problem just with that. But he says, well, that's a problem, but my real problem is with the church because you know about it and you're condoning it. So he really had an issue with them. So he wrote in 1 Corinthians in chapter 5 and said, this is the issue. You need to deal with this. 
You can't have this openly. No, what's Paul saying? There's sin in the church, always. I look out here today, you know, there's sin in the camp. I don't know who, but there's sin in the camp because we're sinners. Now, the thing is, is what's our standard in the church, okay? The standard is going to be the Word of God, not what you say or what I say, because that's where we get in trouble as humans, uh, I think. That's the wrong thing to start any conversation in the church. Well, here's what I think. I don't care what you think. God doesn't care what you think. He didn't care what I think. What we care about is what does he think. That's where Romans 1 is. Hey, it's not about the righteousness of man, what you say is right and I say is right. It's about what God says is right. And that's, the, that's what we have to, we come to the word and we say, am I good or bad? It's, it's from looking in the mirror and seeing Jesus, not yourself, not others. You know, I can compare myself to you and I feel good. But uh, I'm joking. But, you know, if we compare to one another, we can, we can start thinking we're pretty awesome. Compare yourself to Jesus, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, I really stink. And uh, so, back to our text. That's what he's talking about. And he's writing now and going to say, don't be too severe in how you handled that. Verse 6, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so the whole church is inflicted a punishment on this guy. He says, it's sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one is swallowed up with too much sorrow. So you can sleep with your dad's new wife and still be forgiven. God forgives everything. People don't. Dad may not. I don't know. That's an odd one. But um, God forgives. And that's an important lesson. Because, you know, that this is something that in my heart and your heart we struggle with as people, as Christians, is forgiving one another. And, and we're going to get into that. There's some cool things that I've seen just this time studying through on forgiveness that I've never seen before, but hopefully we'll get there if I keep moving. Now, notice in these verses 6 through 8, um, Paul says the man, uh, I'm probably... This guy's happy he didn't include his name. You know, Paul's pretty bad just to say, hey, you know, uh, old Alexander, the coppersmith, you know, he did me much harm. Like, if you, you don't want to make your name in the Bible with Paul. So this guy's like, thank you, Paul. Didn't put it on Facebook, nothing, you know. Um, he says, uh, reaffirm, that word is here uh, in verse 8. I urge you to reaffirm. That is an important word in the Greek. That means to publicly confirm. Why would he say that? If you publicly correct somebody, dragging them all out because of something they did, then publicly reaffirm them. Don't drag it all out in the mud and then, oh, yeah, yeah, they've still got mud all over them. We forgave them, but you know. No, pull them in public and say, hey, this is where we are with this situation. Be up front. I love honesty. Even if it kind of stinks, we all need honesty. And in the church, when we're dealing with humans and problems, we need a lot of honesty and communication. And the Bible seems to say that. Um, so don't let your own bitterness and pain get in the way of forgiveness. Remember Galatians 6.1. Love that verse. It's all about restoring such a one that has fallen from grace. We need to have forgiveness in the church. Is all of this in action today? You're asking, well, what do these people do to this guy? Um, well, they didn't string him up outside. You know, there wasn't a lynching. There wasn't a beating. There none of that. You know, what does the Bible say? A church, how do we handle sin? And this is something, you know, none of us want to talk about this, but it's biblical. Um, mark these scriptures down. You know, Titus 3, 
verse 10. We'll read a few of these. It gives you an idea. It says there, uh, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Now notice it doesn't say, kick him out, judge him, grill him, fire him. It says after the first and second admonition. In other words, when somebody starts doing something haywire in the church, you know, if, I, if in this church, for instance, I learn that somebody is in a group, you know, uh, you know, youth, college, uh, Sunday school teacher, whatever, uh, and, and I find out, like, well, they're teaching the spaceship's landing, and if we all go run around the church naked, you know, there's going to be a rapture. I'm going, wait a minute. What Bible are you reading? I'm coming, and we're going to fix that. And there'll be a first admonition. A second one's going to come real short on the heels of that, because if you say, well, I've got Scripture to back me up, I'm going, and i got a whole church backing me up. You're out of here, you know. Uh, we're we're going to deal with the second admonition, which is to pull more people in. That's Matthew talking. And, and then you're just going to have to be gone. That's, that's what the, the Bible indicates. So if you have a problem with somebody in the church and you see that they're t- doing something wrong, well, go talk to them about it. Know your Bible. You know, that's where you pull out your sword. You say, the, the Bible says this and you said that. Answer this for me. Do it in peace. And then when you see like, no, this person is set in their ways. Well, then you need to come and you need to pull in your pastor, your leadership, whatever groups you're in, and say, we've got a problem going on over here. Let's deal with it. If it continues to get bigger, well, then according to the Matthew, uh, the, the Matthew 18, verse 15, right through there, there's the scripture where Jesus is talking, and he says, then you bring all this before the whole church, and we get this out in the open, and then that person needs to get out of there. Why, why kick somebody out of church? Because if you're pulling other people astray, have you ever heard that saying, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? Uh, same thing in a church. You have one person. You know, I've been in a workplace before, and everybody's happy, joy, happy, and you get one person there, and he's Mr. Negative. Why did we have to be here at this time today? Because we always get here at this time. You know, well, why do we have to do it this way? Well, why do we... And Mr. Negative before long influences and then you've got half the crew is negative and before long you're all wanting to quit you know well that's the same in a church mr negative shows up and it's infectious and it spreads so jesus says hey that person get him out of there and if it's bad teaching it's terrible because you're not only rubbing off a bad attitude now you're rubbing off a wrong picture of god and god hates that that's the one thing i've seen all throughout scripture when you misrepresent god Wow, he gets angry. He really gets angry. Uh, Moses, for instance, you know, he says, go strike the rock. And then from now on, speak to it and water will flow. It's a picture. Don't mess it up. What was it a picture of? It was a picture of Jesus as our rock. He was struck once. He died once. And then he says, it's finished. So he said, this is a picture I'm painting. Well, Moses messed up. He got mad. He was, it went justifiably so at the people for being idiots yet again. So he walks up to the rock and he goes, and he strikes the rock. Nothing really wrong with hitting a rock. You've hit a lot of rocks. I've hit a lot of rocks. But in that pretext, he ruined the picture of God. Not just a picture of of you or baseball or something like that. It was a picture of how God Almighty is dealing with his people. He messed it up. So he got a severe punishment. And trust me, God will take you out if you're misrepresenting him. Uh, And he's got his ways of doing it that are far above mine. I don't even worry about it. If you're misrepresenting God, I don't come to you like, here we go. 
I move back, actually. I just move away. I'm like, the lightning's going to strike. And I don't know if you've ever been around a lightning strike, you don't want to be close. There's a lot of power there. So you just move back from that person. Um, another, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11. Read that sometime, talking about dealing with people in the church. Um, nobody likes this. You know, Here's the issue that I see as a pastor. For this to work in a church, for people to be able to come to you and have that uh, uh, iron on iron kind of a thing, you know, in the Bible where we can correct each other, keep everybody aimed right, you have to have a relationship with each other. You have to be somewhat open and have a Christian friendship. Um, I, become friends with the leaders that God's put in your life to where you can ask questions and, to, and say, you know, hey, if you ever see me getting off, let me know. It, it, this isn't a bearing all thing. I'm not really up for that. I don't like the church counseling session every week. You know, it's like, let's get into your problems. I don't really care about your problems. Um, I pray about them. If you come with them, we'll visit about it. But you know, if any of you've come to me with your issues, what's my advice every time? Let's pray about it and give it to the Lord. And I advise you to do that. If you need counsel, that's what you're here for. The Bible indicates that. Like there, there's, there's wisdom and counsel, but take the counsel and either do it or don't. You see, ongoing sessions don't really solve anything. Um, you know, and that's, the, that's just the truth. God's word is all we need, and, uh, and he gives that to us. Now, moving, moving along, um, verse 9, he says this, For to this end I also wrote, that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. So he's simply saying, I know it's hard to deal with these issues in the church. That's why I wrote. I pointed the issue out just to see it's a test. Are you going to deal with it? Because it's hard. You know, it's a lot easier if you see somebody that's going spiraling out of control just to go, man, look at that dude spiral and just move off and, and not step into the situation. But he's saying here, no, you need to go. Yes, there is that removal, but you need to go ahead and tend to it lest it infects the church. So um, he's saying it was a test. This is the interesting verse. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. So Paul says, if you forgave him, I forgive him. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Never seen that before until I read it this time. Forgive that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. What's in the presence of Christ is for you and me, for Paul. It's in prayer. In the presence of Christ, I forgave that one. So what does the Bible teach? Well, it says in James you know, confess your faults one to another. Um, in other words, don't go tell everybody everything you've ever done. But if I've done, if I've wronged you, go and admit it and say, hey, dude, I'm sorry I hit you last week with that bat. I know it hurt. And, uh, you know, please forgive me. And you say, no, I'm going to hit you back. No, but really you'd say, no, I forgive you. And but see, I made it right with you because I, I hit you. So confess your faults one to another. But then this is a whole new dynamic because he says, and you know what else? This is what really cements it. I talked to my wife about this last night because what I end up doing is I say, well, I forgive him. I forgive him. Kinda. And then you're still stewing on it inside. It's like, it's like putting a fire out. Like I tamped it out, but the embers are still burning. And all it takes is a little bit of straw. Whoosh, there it goes again. And I'm mad again. Well, did you really forgive him? Here's the thing. If you can pray about it and say this, go, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. 
Lord, in your presence, I forgive them. You know what it does? It cements it into your heart. Paul knows that if you can pray to the Lord and ask the forgiveness and say, I forgive. You ask forgiveness from the Lord for yourself, not for them, for yourself. And then you forgive that person in the presence of God. Man, that means something. And it is freeing indeed. Go to the Lord in prayer and forgive people. I've never seen that before. I thought, well, I just forgave them. But it, how can you forgive them in your strength? It doesn't work. You've tried it. I've tried it. When I say, oh, I forgive them, doesn't work. When I forgive them in prayer, with the Lord's help, all things are possible through Christ. You see? It all makes sense. And I've got some proof for this, because I realize you're thinking, yeah, you're basing all this on one verse. You all know Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer? What does it say there? See, I've read this forever. It says there in the middle of the prayer, and forgive us our debts. So you pray and say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done to you, towards you and to others. Forgive me as we forgive our debtors. Now, he didn't say pray this. He said pray like this, Jesus said. So the things that are in this Lord's Prayer is what you're supposed to be doing. So we're supposed to not just say, and forgive us our debts. No, we're supposed to say, Lord, that thing I did, I'm sorry. And this thing I did, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Lord, that thing that my brother or sister did to me, that person, that horrible person that did that to me, Lord, I forgive them in your presence. I forgive them in your presence and through your strength. That's the only way I can do it but I forgive them, and it will cement it into your heart. And then look at this, okay? In the Lord's Prayer, it says, and do not lead us into temptation, because what does unforgiveness do? It leads us into temptation. We've all been there. What are you tempted to do? To kill, to murder, in your heart maybe, to get them, to cook something up, because we want to just get them, unless it's really truly forgiven. And then all of a sudden we love them. We may watch them. You know, it's kind of, some people are like porcupines. It's like hard to hug a porcupine. You know, like, well, this kind of, this, this, this hurts. Um, but that's sort of what God calls us to do. You can't do it without unforgiveness. That's, that's the blanket that you need to wrap porcupines in is unforgiveness. And then you can hold them, you see. And, but he says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Interesting, because in the Lord's Prayer, he's saying, if you don't forgive people, you've just opened the door, the wrong door, for the evil one. Who's the evil one? He's going to tell us back in our text, that's Satan. So, so just no, no, don't worry about who that is. Satan, the evil one, he's looking for an open door to go, uh-huh, I got gotcha. you. And I'm telling you, unforgiveness is the biggest fish hook that he's got that will just reach up and into your heart and hook it and it will keep you held down. You will not grow. You will not move forward. In fact, you will become more bitter, more bitter. And unforgiveness towards one person turns into unforgiveness for others and away it goes. And the evil one has his hooks in you. Back in our text, what is Paul now saying? That's the Lord's Prayer. Now he says... Verse 10, 
If indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. In prayer, go and forgive him, lest Satan should take advantage of us. The same thing Lord Prayer says, you see. It's in duplicate. Does this mean that it's biblical? Yes. No, we see it, we see it duplicated here. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. And you say, well, I am. Well, let me tell you. First Peter. He says he, he, he roams around like a, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't sound pleasant, does it? Not at all. You know. So what is, what's his devices? To get the hook into you because he wants to devour you. He doesn't love you. And if he can, if he can hold you and I down with unforgiveness, man, and so why would he come after Christians for? Because Christians begat Christians. That's why. Christians begat Christians. Jesus said, through you, I'm going to send you out to the world to tell everybody about Jesus. So, so Satan comes along and says, uh-huh, well, then let me put my hook in him and hold him down because that's the only way I can keep this from spreading. Do all the harm I can. So he, he takes churches and he absolutely takes a strong church and he starts pulling us down one at a time with unforgiveness. And it, it cripples the church. So, great thing to, for us to think through. And something in this, I think, for all of us. Forgiving while you're in prayer. It's powerful. It's biblical. Verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. We talked about that a couple, three weeks ago. The doors that the Lord opens. I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So, uh, Titus failed to meet him here again. They're on a mission trip, so he's got these are logistics that we have time uh, don't have time really to go through this morning. You have to go through all of Scripture to figure out where Paul was. A lot of pastors I have listened to, and they confuse me even further. So I'm not going to confuse you. Just know he's on a mission trip, and he's got people that are meeting him. They're bringing money. They're bringing food as he continues to travel and get mission work done. Now, thanks be to God, verse 14, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we're to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. It says, to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. That's not an aroma that we want to be. To the other we're the aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So again, in many words, basically he's saying, he's talking a lot about fragrances and aroma here at the end of the chapter. And he's saying that Christians have or should have a smell about you, an aroma. Christians walk in the room, somebody should go, smells like a Christian in here. You see, it's, 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 and the thing is, you know, when you walk in a room and it's like a skunk, he didn't have to try very hard, you know. When you smell the skunk, you know that scent belongs to the skunk, you know, and it's a, it's a bad scent. But you understand it, okay? Um, you know, you walk into to a room with a musky, you know, like a, a smelly raccoon or something, and you can smell him. You start learning to smell him. Some animals don't have as much smell, but if you've had encounters with them, you instantly start recognizing. You're going, mess. A smell. I hope it's not somebody. There are some people that you know walk in. And you're like, I, I grew up working on a ranch, so you know people out there. They took a bath whether they need it or not every Saturday night. And I mean, everybody's clean, 
But, uh, you know, you could, you could even smell people, and they're like, he's here, you know. He's, he's at the breakfast table. So some people you wanted to eat before they got there, so you still had your appetite. But um, he's saying, as a Christian, we should have a smell about us. And then he says, verse 17, because we're not, as so many people, peddling the Word of God. He says, we walk in a room, we, we're trying to smell good. We're, we're trying to smell different than these other guys peddling. That word very clearly means to peddle the Word of God for monetary gain. I love being a volunteer pastor because it means, and you can rest assured, that I am not doing this for money. I love it. And, and I, in fact, I intend to just keep it that way. If the church grows, we'll have to hire somebody else to do all the work because I'm just going to do the teaching and go home because I want it to stay very, very plain and I want it to be pure. And, you know, that, that's something that I long for in this world is honesty. And uh, so I read this verse and I go, amen, that's what I'm going to do. I, I intend to do the ministry from my life and, and I don't want you to ever be confused. Um, again, it's nothing wrong with having paid ministry as well, but we're all called to various things. We'll, we'll look at the beginning here, chapter 3. It says, do we begin again to commend ourselves so he says, now I'm starting to say, hey, I'm not peddling. He says, wait a minute, you think I'm starting to kind of, you know, pat myself on the back, like look at me. He says, do you, do you think we're commending ourselves or do you need, as some others, epistles of uh, commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? It was very common in these days, by the way, because today, what do we do? Somebody new coming to town, we Google them, right? Who is this guy? And we can find out his bio, you know, online. Uh, and there's all sorts of stuff. You can figure out who people are. Well, in this day, somebody shows up and they're like, my name's Paul and I'm here. I'm an apostle. Are you? Well, you could say you're Paul an apostle. We don't have pictures. There's no Google. There's no license. Let me see your license. There's none of that. You can forge the documents. You can forge epistles. People did forge epistles of the Bible back in these days. So he's saying... Um, what we would do is you would get letters of commendation from the church saying, we put our stamp of approval on this guy. This is actually Paul, the apostle, and he's coming to speak to you. Well, today we've got licenses, Google, all this other stuff. Um, so he says, do we need to do that? He says, no, here's the reason. You're our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Now, you've heard the saying, the only Bible you'll ever, some will ever read is you. This is, what that, this is where that comes from, this verse. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And he's saying, well, you're our epistle. You're a book of a Bible written because you're living this out. Living it out, so very important. Now, you're known and you're read by all men. Do you realize that your life is read, whether it's a novel, whether it's fiction, <laughs> whether it's a newspaper? Some people I've known are newspapers. My granddad was a newspaper. If you had coffee with him in the morning... You got the news, his version. But hey, that's no different than today. Um, you know, Trump, he talks about the fake news. And we have, we've had that forever. Just, I mean, come to the breakfast table. It's like, well, let me tell you what I think. And we'd solve all the world's problems. But some people are a walking newspaper. Here's what we're supposed to be as a walking Bible. Isn't that a cool thought? To be a walking, talking Bible. Not, oh, let me quote that to you. You can't look one way. You can't smell like a skunk, you see, and then be like, I've got the verse for you. Ah, save it, buddy. And that's what we want to tell that person. Just save it. Because uh, we don't want to hear from a hypocrite, do you? Do you, do you want to hear from a pastor who goes live one way all week? 
You know, I'm a drunk all week, but here today I'm telling you to be filled with the Spirit. You don't want that. Nobody wants to hear that. So he says, don't smell like a skunk and read like something else. Now, he says, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered to us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, the heart. So proving my point, he says, you are a walking, talking Bible. Um, I love that. Uh, you know, Gandhi, I don't quote him very often, for good reason. Anyway, um, he had a missionary come along, talk to him about Christ one time, and his infamous quote, and some people say don't use it, some say use it. I'm going to use it because I like it. Um, Gandhi said, upon hearing from the missionary, he says, I like your Christ. Cool, but I don't like your Christians. <laughs> your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That stings. You see, people read you to see who Jesus is. That's when Paul said, imitate me while I imitate Christ. He says in another place, imitate God. I go stepping it up a notch here. Be like God. You're not a God, but be like God. All the characteristics, study your Bible, know the characteristics of God, you be that. Um, One of my favorite studies, and some of you are are taking it right now. We're actually going through it on Wednesday with the leadership um, where we're, we're going through the Jesus nature. Because if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, Learn about the nature of Jesus. It really rubs me the wrong way too. Because he says, hey, I think you need to come to me and be like a child. Hey, I think you need to be full of mercy. Hey, I think you need to be, you know, all these things. You're going, oh, this is not what I want to be. Be like Jesus. Be a walking, talking Bible. Anyway, uh, very cool. We could go on and on with that. Now, he says, Verse 4, we have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He knew the source of success in ministry. It's not from within. The sooner you learn that God is the power behind all things in life, the happier you will be. You know, when you first start life, you think, I'm self-sufficient. In fact, we even teach that. I've come from the country, and what do we really teach ourselves? You know, be self-sufficient. So it kind of makes it tough when you come to God and you're like, I got this, God. God takes a lot of time with people like me to teach me, hey, no, you are not self-sufficient. In fact, you, you, you are absolutely non-sufficient. <laughs> Have all your sufficiency come through and from me. And that's a tough lesson. It's a lifelong lesson. You're not, you, you'll leave here today with the knowledge Putting that in action will take the rest of your lives. Um, but Paul has, he says, our sufficiency is from God. He's made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So here he's saying, I'm sufficient. That word in the Greek means equipped with adequate power. And he says, pointedly, to discuss and teach and demonstrate the new covenant. What's he saying in regards to the rest of the chapter? You're a walking, talking Bible, remember? Well, you think, oh, but I don't know my Bible. No worry about it. You're supposed to, your sufficiency is from God. So it's not your knowledge that makes you an amazing Christian. What makes you a Christian is that Jesus died on the cross. What makes you uh, able to share the gospel is that he's doing a work in your life. Quit sharing stuff you don't know about. That's something I learned a long time ago. You want to look like a fool? Do a Bible study on a topic you know nothing about. 
I mean, you look like a fool because what you do is you, you gather up all your notes and you go with it and you put it out there and then somebody asks the question and it's like, oh, that's the one thing I didn't study. You know, and so you're, you're just, you're straining in self-sufficiency to do his work. And then you're like, God, why won't you bless me? Like, well, it's, you're, 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 looks like you got that, buddy. Uh, you know, and so he just kind of lets you flounder. But if you come at it and go, well, what have you done in my life? Go home and think about it. What's my testimony? It may not be what you want. It never is. Y'all, you ever hear those cool testimonies? And it's like, I was in Vietnam. I was doing this. I was doing that. I did this. I did that. I was on drugs. I was strung out. I was, I was you know, in jail. I was this. I was that. And then the Lord came. And you're like, oh, I wish I had a testimony like this guy. I do too. But I don't. I knew Jesus when I was a very young person. And then I was just compromised most of my life going, you know, like, well, I'm trying to serve God. And then I'm over here and one foot over here. You know, I used to even write songs and uh, I wrote songs about it. One foot in, one foot out, uh, serving him and then serving myself and uh, building my foundation on sand. You know, I mean, I mean, where did all that come from? Because I was all mixed up. This is where it's not that I wasn't saved. It's that my sufficiency was coming from me. But when you get to this point, you go, what's the real story? What's God actually done with my life? And you see, as the weak, my, in my weakness, he's made strong. Remember that verse? That's what he's actually talking about. He said, be, be willing to put your weakness out there in front of your kids. You know, don't, don't hide. If, if, if you messed up in your, your early years, share that with your kids so they don't make the same mistake. Let them see that I am human. And it's not, I'll tell you what, if you'd be like me. No, don't. I, you know, my kids, I don't be like me. Here's the thing. This is where I messed up. And this is, this is the way. I've learned. There was a point in my life when things got real with Jesus. And it's only knowing Jesus that's pulled me out of anything. So, again, self-sufficiency. Being honest with ourselves and who we are. Now, uh, wrapping this chapter up, this is a real cool ending. He says, If the ministry of death written and engraved in stones was glorious, um, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now, changed gears big time. A cool ending to this short chapter here. Um, he's talking about Exodus chapter 34. If you remember, the Mount Sinai... The children of Israel come to the bottom. Moses goes to the top. God gives him the Ten Commandments. Um, During that time at Mount Sinai, he's going up and down the mountain and getting all this info. When Moses would go up to the top of the mountain, it says that his his face would start shining like a light bulb. So, you know, he comes back down the mountain. He looks like an LED light bulb. And the people are actually kind of scared of Moses. And they go, Moses, you're shining. Um, You know, and so what they did is they actually got a little veil you know, and so he wore a veil over his face so the people weren't scared of him. That's what it says there, but then here it says something a little bit different. Um, now, and what would happen is as he was off the mountain away from God, then his face would start dimming and it would start going back to normal like we all live. So this is, what, this is cool here, okay? Now he says, verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. 
For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if, it, if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So he says, think of it this way. And then down here, uh, verse 13, unlike Moses who put a veil on his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. Two reasons why this happened, okay? He says, so the, in Exodus it says the children of Israel were afraid, so he, they covered his face. One other thing that was happening is Moses kind of liked looking like a light bulb. Look at me shine. But the people could see that it was fading. That would kind of stink, wouldn't it? What if every day when we came to church, that represents your glory of God on your life? And I'm like, you're looking a little dim today. <laughs> you ought to hit, you know, hit the dimmer, you know. You know the, the voltage is kind of getting a little low there. Your battery's running dry. I mean, see, we would be able to just see the glory on each other and go, <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting dark over there. And then if I'm light, I'd be like, you know, I'll, look at me, look at me. Well, well Moses... In, in, in some ways, he, he loved having the glory on his life, the light. Who wouldn't? And he hated people to see that it was fading, so he also wanted to veil it for that reason. Now, what is, what is Paul talking about? Here's what he's saying in verse 9, 10, and 11. He's talking about, look, that glory was on the outside. It was on the outside, and it faded. Here's what you have in the epistle. All, the whole study today is fixing to come together for you. Okay, you're a walking, talking Bible. All of this is on the inside. The Spirit comes, and He's doing a work on the inside of us. I can't see that, but it's there. And you know what happens? This is what happens in a Christian. You first show up to church. I've watched it happen for 25 years. Okay, people come to church, and they're crusty, and they really just don't want people to know they even come to church (laughs) because they're a little bit dim but we don't know you're dim. I mean, really, you just, you're just coming. But oh, we see the scowl on your face. We see the, uh, the apprehension and all of that. But well, here's what happens. You accept Jesus. He comes into your heart. It's no longer on the outside. The Holy Spirit... See, God changed Moses from the outside. It was a picture of what the Spirit would do. This is what this is saying in verses 9, 10, 11. On the inside, a light begins to shine. He's changing you from the inside out. Now, what happens to a Christian's life, and I've watched it for years now, is at first you'll see that person go, well, they're crusty. But then they start, they come to church without a Bible. I don't need one. I don't use one. Next time they're with a Bible. Next time they're sitting up in their seat. Next time they crack a smile. You're like, oh, something's happening with that person. They're getting it. And the light begins to crack through. I don't know, there's a Christmas movie. Is the third Christmas movie, Mr. Freeze is on there, um, and uh, uh, it's with Tim Allen. Y'all remember that movie? Uh, and, and Jack Freeze or whatever, you know, Frost, whatever, I don't know. Weird guy with a weird hair, dude. I always hate people with hair. Anyway, um, so uh, the kid comes up, and he's like Mr. Frozen, you know, and he, they come up, and they give him a hug, and he goes, oh, and all the, the Frozen uh ice, whatever, starts falling off of him and the light comes through. You know, it's like the inside finally comes out with love, you know. Well, the, that is pretty much what happens with Christians. You, you come to church and you're like, ah, and God does a work from the inside out. And before long, you're smiling. Before long, the joy of the Lord. It's not pasted on your face. You can always tell a fake, can't you? 
when it's just pasted on the outside because it wears thin, it wears off. When it's from the inside, it's a new work. You're a new creation and you can't erase it. You can't get rid of it because it's emanating from something that's real and it doesn't fade. Moses faded the Christian in the new covenant. We get brighter. He says, Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. Let it shine. Let it shine. You see, so he's pulling all this together. Now, real quickly here, we've got three verses. But their minds were blinded. So he's talking about uh, the Jews back with Moses. He says, well, they didn't get the picture. Their minds were blinded. They didn't see that this is all a picture of something coming. For until this day, that veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. The Jews still reading it going, we don't get it. We don't see Jesus. I can read the Old Testament as Jesus, 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 every chapter. Because the veil's taken away, it says, in Christ. Even to this day when Moses is read, so the Old Testament, a veil lies on their hearts. Sad. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Did you ever come to church and just go, I don't get it. I just don't get it. You know, and the main thing you're worried about is getting to lunch. The main thing you're worried about is who you came with or, you know, looking good. or And then all of a sudden you get it. Do you remember that day when you got it? It, wasn't, it was no longer something that you're going because your parents did it. It was their faith or it was yours. You know Christ. He says when, the, when you turn to the Lord, that veil's taken away and you see what I'm talking about, this new joy that's coming from the inside. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Why would he bring liberty in right now? Because when it's real, it's real. You see, if it's fake... And I go, oh, I've got the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you some rules and how I keep the joy of the Lord in my life. Whoa. Read Galatians. You're not going to be happy with more rules, trust me. More rules just make us more miserable. He says in Christ, if this is really emanating from the inside, you can walk, walk up and slap a Christian, and they just say, slap me on the other side. Yeah, you know, Not really. You slap me, I'm going to get mad. But, um, hey, it sounds good to say it. Um, but no, really, there is a joy inside where I actually feel bad for that guy that's mad. When I see somebody in the world that's mad and just running their mouth and they're destroying things all around them, I feel bad for them. I actually don't hate them. I hate what they're doing to themselves. I hate sin, but I love the person. And I actually genuinely do. Well, that's a work of the Lord. See, because before, if you met me 15 years ago out on the ranch and you had you know, some smack talk, I'd smack talk you back and uh, smack you around too, you know, while I was at it. I mean, I, that, that, was, that was where I was at in the world. Well, now I, I feel bad for you that you're having such a bad day, you know, and I kind of move away from you. I don't want you to rub off on me, but I just feel genuinely bad. There's a joy. And he's saying, look, liberty equals joy. Rules equals bondage. And if you're a fake in here today, you're living under a bunch of rules that you've put on yourself. God didn't put you under all that. And you're miserable. And he's saying, be a walking, talking Bible from the inside out. Let God do the work and just simply follow Jesus. Be like Jesus. Let the world see Jesus through you. 
They need to look at you and go, hey, Jesus, I mean, Justin, how, how are you doing? That, it needs to be that pugnant with people that they see Jesus through us. Now, last verse, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We're being transformed. So you say, well, I'm not there. That's okay. Being transformed, that word is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, we all know what that is. The ugly little fat thing that goes in and then they, it becomes you know, a beautiful butterfly. You, know, you ever see the bug's life? You know, a beautiful butterfly. You know? and, and so you know, that's what's going on. And, and for each one of us, you are in a journey where the light, it might be dim. Some of you are just a candle, you know, but uh, it's okay. You'll become an LED light bulb one day. And you're going to get brighter and brighter as you live on planet Earth. That's why we're living here. Our character is producing something in us. And before long, you're going to be shining like a bright light bulb. And that's what the Scripture is saying. Look, you're being transformed into the same image of the Lord is the idea. From glory to glory. That's the kabod of the Lord. So it's not your glory because we don't have any. It's into the glory of the Lord. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's not happening on your account. It's happening all by the Lord. So I really think, you know, today, this is so encouraging to me because two things that we can leave here with today. One, you ain't there yet. (laughs) I'm not there yet. We're being transformed. But two, if we went through this today and you say, but that's kind of me. I've got the little light inside of me and it just needs to get brighter and I didn't know what to do. Well, drop the rules and regulations. Seek Jesus. Seek his nature. Come at your Bible a little bit different. I challenge you. Say, I want to study this to see what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And I want to be like him. And you're well on your path. You know, fake it till you make it. It's okay. That's what we all do. You look at Jesus and you go, I'm going to be that. And then you pray and the Lord starts to do a work in your heart. And before long, you find that is me. That is who I am. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're here today and this speaks to you, then while we pray here at the end, I encourage you to say, Lord, maybe I have some unforgiveness. While praying, I'm going to say, Lord, I forgive that person in your presence. Leave here free because you can be free in Christ. No more bondage there. You see, it's freeing. And you just now kick Satan out the back door of your life. The other thing that you can do while we're praying is go, well, Lord, I see that I need to be a walking, talking Bible. Help me because I don't know my Bible. Help me to learn my word. Get involved in systematic study of your word on your own. There's so many avenues. Come talk to me if you need uh, resources. Uh, There's so many. Depending on what your thing is, this world is full of plenty. And you can just start getting the word of God. It's a great start here on Sunday morning. Just we go through the Bible. And, uh, you know, you pray about it while we're, while we're ending in prayer. And the third thing, on a serious note, is there's, there's two other groups of people. Those who have fallen away from the Lord, and you're, like we talked about, this guy who's out of fellowship and all of that. If that's you and you just feel like, man, I'm ostracized over here, then this is a good time to say, Lord, forgive me. I want back in. I want to get things right. That's called rededicating your life to the Lord. He leads us all to that point at some times. In fact, I've rededicated my life to the Lord weekly for the last many years because I realize every week I get off. Lord, I come back to you. 
I rededicate. I need your spirit inside. I want that light to be burning bright. And uh, so all of these things. And the last class of people, uh, normally, you know, church, everybody's a believer. Some people come to church and they say, I, I'm here today because, frankly, I've been pretending for a long time. And I've been a hypocrite. And today is the day when I want to say, you know what? I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And all you have to do while we're praying is say, Lord, I put my trust and my belief in you. Forgive me for my sin, which are many. Come into my heart and start doing this work where you start changing me. And when I die, take me to heaven. It's that simple. And, and then it start moving forward with the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this place to come together in your name. Lord, right now, as we're just uh, ending this really great and a very encouraging study, Lord, several things on my heart. One, Lord, this light that is inside of us that is burning brighter and brighter day by day, Lord, it's a choice to allow you to work. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would make that choice today and we would say yes to the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, that we would say yes to getting into our Bibles, to seeing the nature of Jesus and start emulating those things, allowing those things to come forth in our life, Lord, and allowing you to reign in our hearts so that we would shine bright. Lord, there's other people here this morning that maybe they feel like they're they're cold. Lord, they're, they're in a place where we need to rededicate our life to you, Lord. And so, Lord, we come to you right now and we say, Lord, please begin a new work in my heart. Open the word of God to me that I may become, Lord, a walking, talking epistle, that my life would just demonstrate something that's better, that's more than what it's been doing and demonstrating lately. Lord, uh, for the last bunch, Lord, if there's anyone here that is wanting to say that prayer and say, Lord, this morning I see something that I've always wanted. No more rules, no more religion, no more anything, Lord. It's all about Jesus Christ. Then, Lord, I pray right now with those people, Lord, as they want to accept you. I, uh, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And Lord, when we die, take us to heaven. Lord, we love you for everyone that's gathered here today. I pray with and for them, Lord, that you would bless the week ahead, that you would cause us to be this light that others would see, that we would have the aroma of Christ, Lord and that your peace would be upon us all. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.